Hello and welcome to Grid Talk, your weekly RC racing podcast with your host myself, Russell Lee, and as always, the fantastic Chris Bailey. How you doing, Chris? Ah, a bit of a rough week, mate, but not too bad just getting there. Right, let me say thank you to the sponsors. So a massive thank you to CMR Distribution, Schumacher Racing and Will Speed, the companies that keep us on every week and throw us some prizes at Christmas, which is just around the corner. So this week, listeners, we're going to go straight in with our guest, Paul Ainsco, who is the treasurer of Durham RC Club and the new 10th off-road treasurer. How you doing, Paul? You OK? Yeah, not bad, fellas. Are you, too, are you doing well, all? Yeah, all yeah, right. not too bad, mate. Do you want, do you want to ask the first questions, bad. Chris? Well, I think the first question, I guess, is what possessed you? Well, if you'd asked me that heading down there, I was I was uh, quite looking forward to it. Come the time of putting my hand forward, I wasn't so sure after the AGM, mate. It was it was a fun event, wasn't it? <laughs> it was just, there was a bit of drama, but nothing too bad. Yeah. Um, no, it was it was it was good fun. It was good fun. I mean, why did I want to do it? For me, I think there's there's a presence missing in the northeast within the BRCA. We've got a fantastic regional rep, a guy called Cash Khan up here. He was amazing. Um, but I wanted to try and get involved and in, and in bring the scene, the racing scene, a little bit more alive up here if I can. That that's the the key driver behind it. It was then a case of what role can I go and try and get myself into, and the treasurer role suits me on a personal and a professional level really. But the the, the main reason was to try and bring bring the BRC a little bit further north because I think right now the Midlands and the southern areas kind of not not control it that's the wrong word to use but it's very popular amongst the committee down that way so that was the main reason behind it really yeah so what when you say a presence more in the northeast mm. what are you kind of what are you hoping to kind of achieve and and push up that way because obviously you've already sort of We'll talk I mean, about it later. A big part of this fantastic Durham club, which is, I think, looking one of the most amazing tracks in the country. But how else do you think you can push it up there? Well, do you know what? I think it's actually the other way. I don't think it's bringing the BRC up here. What I want to do is I want to take people further into BRC events. If you look at the northern region, we've got some incredibly fast drivers. I could probably name five to ten of them who could who could be A&B finalists at nationals. We've got a lot of mid-range drivers who just race in the northeast. They do our summer regionals, they do our winter regionals, but they never venture outside of that. I want to try and enable people and help people to get the confidence, get the understanding why they should go and take part in these events out of the area. Just step at the comfort zone a little bit. Look at the national events. Euros warm-up was a good one because the, you, you could be sitting alongside some world-class drivers. But the Euros warm-up was a great chance to go and be part of that. I'm never going to be quick enough to be part of a Euros, but I was confident enough to go and have a go in the warm-ups and try and get some of our club drivers to take a bit of a, a bigger look at what the, the BRC and what the RC scene offers because they probably race it two or three clubs per year, but they'll race every week at them clubs. Let's try and encourage people to step away from just their club, enjoy the club racing and keep doing the club racing, but come and try an international, come and try a different series across a different region, come and try a national event because you go down there, you could finish last, you can only beat those in front of you, but they'll come away, they'll, the people that are there, they can learn from, there's so much that you can pick up from doing that, and I'm guilty of that myself. So if I can try and do it myself, I can try and bring other people along with me. Right. So where you say improve racing in the northeast, it's by by getting 
your races up there more involved getting them down into the bigger events where you've got because it's bigger drivers obviously but you don't get fast by racing people who are slower than you do you get fast by going and beating trying to beat all better people absolutely and you learn more by asking questions to people who know these cars better than we do we all know how complicated a setup is to find on these cars if you can go and have five ten minutes of somebody who's an a or b final driver and just ask two or three questions on something that's been niggling you you'll probably get a different response to the guy that you've pitted next to for the last three years who says put a yellow spring on and it's it'll give people confidence another part of it is i want to try and look at bringing a national event to the northeast it's been some time since we've had one and actually, I feel that, and this is me talking of both the BRCA treasurer for the 10th and also from Durham, I feel we've now got a northeast track that is capable of holding a national event. Yeah, and obviously that's the Durham track, which you're, you're a big part of. Yeah, that's of. Durham. Yeah, yes. yeah. I've, um, I've Durham put in this year. We have, yeah. We've, so we've submitted our application a couple of weeks back, just prior to the AGM. Um we haven't had any feedback on that yet. Um, there's a meeting which happens towards the end of November, um, which you'll be at, Chris, I'll be at. Uh, yeah. Discussions will be had then around nationals and end of season. So we have applied for a national. Um, the hope is we get a national. If not, then we would hope that we would fall in line for potentially end of season vets. Yeah. Yeah, fingers, fingers crossed that we can, we, we can get involved in that side of things. Yeah, so, I mean, I've never been a part of putting in for a national. Um, I'm mm-hmm. assuming being a big part of Durham and the Treasurer there, you've had a, a big part of that application process. Um, maybe you could yeah. talk some of the listeners through what's kind of involved in the process. Are there any... Because I know like there's there's some weird stipulations, isn't there? There used to be, like, you've got to have an up ramp and a down ramp for your stairs yeah. and, and yes, things yeah. like that. So I'd look... I- I'd love to say that I wrote the presentation, but actually I'm going to pass credit. Probably the one and only time in my lifetime I'll give credit to Matthew Gill. Um, <laughs> Matthew actually wrote the presentation for it. Um, yeah. And it was good. It was good. But it, it's things that you, you, we automatically assume, right, we've, we've got a track that's 50 metres by 35 metres. That's big enough. We'll get a national. What you don't think of is, as you've mentioned, is your, does your rostrum have sound on it? Is your, what's your lighting facilities like? What's your toilet facilities like? Are you able to cater for disabled people getting up and down the rostrum? Uh, have you got an up ramp? Have you got a down ramp? How many tents can you have? How many caravans can you hold? And it's all the little things like that that we've really invested in over the last 12 months in the facilities to make sure. I mean, last winter, we spent two, three months building a new rostrum and putting a disabled ramp up there because we have a couple of disabled racers who were coming along to the club. And this... This hobby has to be inclusive. It has to be inclusive in, in every possible way. And we could see straight away, we've got a young lad who comes along. And if I put myself to where he was, standing, in the, like if I was to go and stand in the position where he was in his wheelchair, I couldn't see all of the track. Yeah. Straight away, he was at a disadvantage. So we made that our immediate priority to install a disabled ramp, but also a disabled ramp that took him to a height similar to where the rostrum was. So you still got good coverage of the track. And they're the little things that I don't think we expected, really. We knew of them. We knew there was parts there. But when uh, we got the, the application packed through and we, we had certain points we had to answer, we're thinking, bloody hell, we've only, we've only just covered some of these. We feel like we've covered all of them, but we've only just covered these, potentially by luck in the work we've done in the last 12 months. But 
small little things like how many toilets do you have? How far are we are the toilets? So we've went a step further where we've got, we, we hire toilets in, but when it comes to things like caravan and a camp, and we've installed permanent power around the track now, there's a huge area that can be used for camping and caravans that's got um, power there for caravans to run overnight. And we hope that all those things tick the box along the way. There's a, there's a lot to do in it. There's there's a hell of a lot to do in it. And I think this is one of the things that, if, if I think back to me as a racer, I probably took for granted. I would drive down to Robin Hood, put my table out, break my cars in every heat, but have one hell of a weekend. And then I'd go back home, tell my wife I won, and then I won. If she's listened to this, sorry, Babs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what you then realise is the work that those guys put in to ensure that that facility is capable of holding these events. And yeah. it's it's a lot. It's a big commitment. It's a, it's a bloody big commitment. But when you stood there, I mean, there was a key moment for us, sorry if I'm digressing, yeah. There was a key moment for us when we had our first Uber last year. And at the end of the Uber on the Sunday, everybody left. And there was about 10 adults and three or four kids who are committees to help us. And we all stood there and we all had a beer in hand and we're like, bloody hell, we've actually done it. We've, we've pulled this weekend off. It's gone pretty much faultless. People seem to have enjoyed the racing. And it was, it's a huge, huge moment of pride when you stand and they're looking at it. It really is. Yeah, looks, yeah. Looks, I mean, I've only I've never pictures, isn't it? So yeah, I've never been up there because it's it's probably out of reach just to travel up for a day. I mean, it's a good three and a half mm-hmm. hours for me, so probably about yeah, yeah. four for about four for you, Russ. Yeah. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a trek for a day, um, mm. but I, I, I really I'm looking forward to if we do get to go there because I think the venue looks fantastic. I think the facilities you built. And, you know, from a bit of a selfish point of view, the camping and caravanning bit where you've got, you know, power supplied to to the vans and individual pitches and everything like that. I think that, that's yeah. a great addition. I mean, you look at how many people now are camping and caravanning at nationals. Yeah. It's there's a lot. So you may be having to build a few more of those pitches. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the one that we, that, that, so we're part of our sites based on a go cart and track, probably one of the best facilities in the UK called cart and Northeast. So the guy is very, very supportive because this bolts on the motorsport to what he does. He's built an area which could probably hold maybe 100, 120 caravans and even more tents. But, we dropped a bit of a clangor at the Ubel. We knew we had this area, but it's not its not a field. It's hard ground. So everybody turned up with tents with motorhomes. And we hadn't actually been down and put a peg into this ground. What we didn't realize at the time was basic pegs wouldn't go in. So on the second event, we, we tried it a little bit different. We've got a, you put a drill into the ground. It's, it's like, it's, it's not dolomite, but it's like dolomite. It's like a, a dark colored stone. You put a drill in the ground, your peg goes in, job done. And the size of that area, if you were to put tents there, you could probably have 150 tents on it. And a, a big part of racing for me, guys, is the social side of it. And yes. if you think to the, the events you've been to, I mean, I've seen multiple pictures this year where not teams, but just people at the end of the day, sitting under a gazebo, sitting watching the racing or the football on a TV, having a barbecue, having a beer. That's For me, that's what we do this sport for. As I said before, I'm never going to win, apart from when I beat Matt Gill in a final for the trucks. I'm never going to win anything. I'm never going to be an A, B or C finalist, but I'm going to enjoy myself. And then at the end of the racing, I'm going to sit and have a beer and have a laugh with my mates. There's not many hobbies you can do that in. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, um, I mean, I don't know how, how close he is, but 
is the set errors on the, the karting track or can you do like a national and no, then is it still open to pop down or would he be there so the, the yeah so the there's, there's further development happens i think it starts in december where they're building a clubhouse so at the minute they've got um like a, a food area a canteen indoor they've got showers and toilets they are building a clubhouse which is going to have a restaurant in it and a bar um that that will be open from seven in the morning until 10 at night i'm led to believe throughout the summer slightly different hours on the winter um but there's, yeah. there's people on site 24 7 so what we've done with any event, any decent sized event in the summer series we have is we encourage people to have a go-kart race afterwards. So we all go racing our, our cars during the day. At the end of it, we all go and have a go-kart race on the this world-class facility. And it's something that I don't know of anywhere else in the UK that can offer that. There's a one in France. There's an RC track in France. And the, the name the name eludes me, which has got a go-kart track attached to it. Um and that's something that there's a lot of uptake for. But referring back to the Ubel, when we put the, the advert up, let's go go-karting afterwards, it can hold, I think it's 33 or 35 go-karts, and it was full within a couple of days. So there was people coming up on the event saying, can I get involved in go-karting? I'm like, well, it's full. There's a, there's a limit to how many it is. And I think on the Sunday, more people were talking about the go-karting event they had the night before than their actual racing results during the day. Yeah, yeah. It's great fun, great crack. It, uh, it look honestly, it looks amazing. So, you know, fingers work, crossed. There's a lot of work to go. There's a lot of work to do to it, and we know there is. But we we're forever raising money. We're forever doing raffles for the club, and every penny we get goes back into this facility because we have an indoor facility that we use across the winter where we just go put our carpet and features out and race. Every penny we we raise goes back into the club, and it's predominantly the outdoor track is where that money goes. And hopefully, the racers can see. It's it, every month it evolves. Something new is there, and yeah. we, we we ask a lot of questions. We, we're forever asking people's input, but I think one of the things that we can hand on heart see is that we listen to what people say and we we act upon it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, Chris, go on. well, sorry, I was going to say just without obviously don't go into too much detail, but how sort of strong is the future with the club? Is it like a a ten, fifteen, twenty year lease on the land that you've managed to get, or is it- so the guy who we rented off, um, his son is, let me get this right, I believe he's the current European runner-up go-kart champion. Um, his other son is of similar level. I might not be absolutely accurate on that, but he bought this, this facility from a chap who had it three, four years ago because his sons are European world-level go-kart um, racers. So this facility that he's got, he's bought it to hand it across to his children in five, ten years' time. His children yeah. will then remain there for another 30, 40 years. And the feedback that we get from them is very, very good. We help him a lot with things. We he, he helps us a lot with things. We do projects together. So there's there's no limit of how long we can remain on this facility. We can be there as long as we want. What, what we're going to have to look at next year is a little bit wind protection because we're on a bit of a hill. So we do get the wind at times. The main reason for that is to allow it run more through the winter. Yeah. Once we've got that in yeah. place, I think we could be a track that runs potentially eight to nine months a year outdoors, and we could be there as long as we want to. There's no restrictions on it. Yeah. Are you floodlit? So we've got floodlights. I think there's four or five floodlights on there now, which cover all the track and the pitting area. Early next year, there's another three or four, which will get go up probably about 20 metres high, almost on top of a lamppost to cover more areas for pitting. But yes, we, we can race at night. So when we done our summer series in the first year, well, there, we had a fun, a few evening fun races under the lights and there's nothing better. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, it does, mate. It looks like it's one of the best in the country. I mean, 
we're in the process of just starting to tear down the old Telford track and rebuild it. Yeah. So hopefully we can get it, uh, you know, some aspire to be somewhere near the same sort of yeah, quality. You know it's lovely that you, it's it's lovely that you say that, and it really is. We've got a long way to go. The the thing I would say with that, and this goes to anybody who's listening, anybody who's involved in a club. We've learned some some tough lessons in building this track. When we turned up, there was probably about 600 tonnes of, of earth piled up. So we've learned some tough, expensive lessons along the way. Anybody, yourself, Chris, anybody else in the, who's involved in the club who's thinking about renovating tracks, by all means, drop me a message. I'll help any which way I can. Um, Gordon, uh, Duncan Paul up in um, in Glasgow, there was a chap called Gordon from another club as well I was speaking to recently. He was a brilliant assistance to us when we started. James Helliwell gave us some fantastic advice. And if we can help somebody else moving forward and just give them that one little pointer that saves them 300 quid on drainage that wasn't needed in that certain area, then I've, I've always got time to help people in that way. Perfect. We might be getting, when you come down on the uh, on the 26th, if you're stopping in a hotel, I might drag you over to the Telford track the night before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy. So the plans, the plans for that, I think I'm coming down on the 26th, then I've got workshop the following day, so I'll be travelling for the workshop um, on the afternoon of the 26th, I believe. But, oh, yeah, well, I've got the same. Yeah, let's find a, a pub and a pint and we'll have a chat about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be good. <laughs> when, um, we had, when we had the guys on from your club, um, was, it, was, it, was it Paul we had on? Um, anyway. It was uh, Matt Gill and... Uh, Matt and Dave. Matt and Dave, that Matt was it, Dave. sorry, yeah. Well, they were saying yeah. that um, you managed to um, arrange all the excavators and all the machinery and all the plants and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, just found in yeah, local so... places and going with a local community project <laughs> and we need some help or well, something the, like that. The, 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 there was there was two elements to it. So I think there's been a slight misconception on, on the back of the AGM. Somebody seems people think think that I'm accountant. I'm not. I, I own a recruitment agency, but I've always been involved within the finance element of it. So that's the link to it. Yeah. But my recruitment agency specialises in construction. So I lent on a lot of clients when it started, um, who I've done favours for for many many years and helped them out when they've been they've been stuck. Yeah. And one by one. Um, there was wagons turned up, there was diggers, there was dumpers, every bit of machinery turned up. And the lads were like, are we going to pay for this? Don't worry, lads. We're, it's it's a favour that's being called in. Let's just let's just get this job done. And I think by by the end of it, um, so to actually know in the middle of the project, I, I've got an issue with my back and I end up being rushed to hospital to have emergency surgery and have a disc removed. And I came home the following day from hospital and the, the lads blessed them. They'd all chipped some money in and there was a bottle of my favourite whiskey turned up. And the card just said, cheers for Paul and all the favours. <laughs> please please don't ask us to do any more, mind. I don't think I've got anybody else left I can go to. But okay. even even so much as a few months back, I managed to get some machinery. But we've done the same for basketball. Got no favours, no favours down in the Midlands that are out here, you know, sort of around the Telford area. <laughs> you never know. When when Glasgow were doing their work, I managed to sort some machinery out at a highly discounted rate for them. And it's it's them little things where, you know, clubs clubs need to work together more. They need to work together a lot more because yeah. there's there's too many people. And I don't know whether it's clubs that are close or far away, tittle-tattle, all the usual yes that goes on if we can help each other we should help each other because you never know when you need to lean on somebody to help you out yeah we had to borrow somebody's loop as a backup um the decoder we ended up like using it but there's a local club um called hardwick which they do a lot of the bashing they do a lot of fifth scale we yeah, had an event on Cap-Sain, um, Cap-Sain, Talbot there yeah yeah 
Yeah, it's a great place. It's a brilliant place. But we had um, the first round of the indoor winter series, 108 people booked for it. And we just got a little bit nervous with the, the decoder the week before. So we, we dropped them a message and sure enough, they turned up, brought the decoder. Yep, you know, it's things like that where you, we have to work together. We have to help each other out. Yeah, I mean, obviously I've raced a little while now. You know, you break mm-hmm. in the middle, but I mean, I remember when we I was younger and roughly racing in area, there was always things like... Um, and I know we had like the MAM series, but there was always like the interclubs, weren't there? There was like the border, I think here, border yeah. counties league as well, man. It was just yeah, the border club. counties, and you know, mm-hmm. so so for example, I mean here you've got say Kiddy, Telford, Oswestry, Street, yeah. and Coventry, and you'd have a series that wasn't the regionals, it wasn't a club race, it was kind of in the middle. So it was yeah. a really nice stepping stone for people that had only ever, you know, how you're saying. You've got people who've only ever completed at club races. They've never, yeah, they've absolutely. never gone to a regional. It yeah. was right. So this is a little bit more serious than, mm-hmm. pardon my French, a, a dick around on a Sunday with your mates at yeah. a club race and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the regional where it's like, oh god, if I drop three places, I might not get my F grading. Yeah, absolutely. And it absolutely. was really, really good, and I think involved in that. There was a little bit of a friendly inter-club competition where it was, say, you know, the club could win it. And it was yeah. a bit of a bragging rights for that year. But yeah, and you don't we're, see we're, those leagues anymore. Well, you, you, you will do up here come probably January, February. So we'll, the winter, when I, I first came back to a race, and I think seven years ago, I think the indoor winter regionals had just stopped that point so i never got to experience them but then a conversation within our club a couple of months ago we're like why don't we try and re- rejuvenize this bring it bring it back so we got in touch with cash we got in touch with the brca we then approached all the other local clubs and we we brought back the indoor winter regionals so it's not f graded it's very similar to the summer regionals we have what's progressed on from that now is once this is over is we're going to be bringing in an interclub championship so we've got i think five clubs uh, within probably about an hour and a half to two hours drive of each other, we're not we're not saturated with clubs in this area, unfortunately, where some places are. So the the interclub championship is something that myself, Cash, and a couple of others have been talking about lately, um, which that that will be coming back early next year, and that's to try and bridge exactly as you're saying there to bridge that gap to give somebody the confidence who's a club racer who does the summer regionals to try and do something different, try and go to a different club, and try and just step out the comfort zone a little bit more but something different the bragging rights as you say is a big part of it a lot of us we want to have the bragging rights we want to laugh at our mates that we beat them and i think to to do that in a way that we can have a, a bit of fun friendly crack at the same time i think it would be really really good for them because they're not they're not around anymore you don't see these championships as you mentioned it's all just the serious races where am i going to get the f grade what am i going to do in nationals and beyond mm. that there's not a lot more yeah, I mean, you look at it and you have, I mean, particularly here, and I think in one sense in the Midwest, I might I might be a little controversial here. We are very lucky right. in the fact that we are saturated with two national level tracks. Oswestry, yeah. which is as old as Jeff that start, ran it. It's, mm. you know, we've got a lot of good tracks here in the Midlands. Yeah. And that's a great strength. But I think it's also a bit of a weakness because mm-hmm. rather than working together to put on a series, 
you have each of these clubs put on their own summer series. And what it does is it saturates the racing to the point where I think I, not last year, but the year before COVID. So the last year before we finished at COVID, Mm -hmm. I went from, let me get it right. I think it was March, the third weekend in March to the last weekend in November. And I only didn't race for three weekends, but I could have. (laughs) Yeah, and some of those were racing Saturday and Sunday and a Tuesday night at Telford. <laughs> you sound like Davy Little, <laughs> oh, mate. I had I had mileage for racing on Davy Beat that year because I was doing nationals, regionals, summer series um, at two different clubs, and then Telford club nights. Now, I get that each of these clubs want a. a piece of the pie and the, the funds that a summer series brings yeah but the amount of times i was like well i've got half my mates that are going to kiddie because they live that way and i've got half of my mates going to telford because they live that way and i'm smack bang in the middle like i could not be more central and i'm like well why couldn't they have just organized to have kiddie this weekend and telford next and then yeah. I could have, and I'm only using those two clubs as, as an example, um, but it would have given so much more fun. And then even if they do a series and there's four tracks and you have eight events, you just pull all yeah. the money into one pot and then go, right, we split it four ways evenly. Yeah, but this this comes back to what I was saying earlier, where clubs need to work together a little bit more. And I've tried it with local clubs. I've tried to, to work together more with local clubs. Some take it, some don't. But you, you can only but try to go out there and, and get what, what's better. What, what's more fun to turn up to a club that's got 35 entries or one on, on two different clubs run the same day. Turn up to one, both have got 35 entries or have one event with 70 people there. 70 oh, people every, one with 70. every single time. Every single One with time. 70, every single time. You get better depth of field, mm-hmm. better well, quality of racing. Let's, let's put my treasure of a hat on and look at it from a different angle. I'm paying £200 to rent, rent a venue today to run an indoor event for 35 people. I'm going to make 50 quid profit. Next weekend, I'm not going to run at all. I'm going to save that rental expenditure. The weekend after, I'm going to pay that 250 quid, but I'm going to have 70 people paying enter rather than 35. The club is suddenly £300 in profit rather than 20 quid in profit but it's getting people to see that people will assume when you approach them and say let's try and do something what what's what what have you got to gain no what have we got to gain it's not what have i as a club what have we as racers what have we as two clubs what has we as a brc association got to gain because if i take my kid along my, my two children they race from time to time if i take them along to a club which has got 25 30 people they're going to be in the bottom probably five percent of racism speed yeah. take them to a bigger event there's more racers of their ability so suddenly you've got a full heat of lower ability racers my children want to come back next week because they think they've done fantastic in that heat whereas the quieter race 
they were bottom and were getting laughed three or four times a race. They didn't enjoy it. They were being told to move out of the way constantly. It's yeah. not just about how much money goes into the club. Let's think about as much as we want. We, we run a summer series. We want Tommy Hall to come. We want Craggy to come. We want Lee Martin to come. We want you to come. We want all the fast drivers. Sorry, I didn't mean you there, Chris. <laughs> we want all the fast drivers. Hey, hold you on. You could go on, on again. On. <laughs> <laughs> we want all the fast drivers to come. But the fast drivers are the ones that will visit our club twice a year and pay 20 quid a race. What about the slow to medium drivers that will visit our club 30 times a year and spend 300 quid to race? If we can make them feel that they're in a better ability heat by bringing more people in, have a better day's race, have a busy day race, and it's an absolute win for everybody. And the club, which is quiet, didn't have to spend rent that day. Yeah. I mean, it's great having the big races. I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you, if you can get, you know, your likes of, I mean, your national and European class. I mean, your Tommy Halls, your Neil Craig, yeah. your Lee Martins, yeah. um, Ben Smith, the Holdsworth, all of that kind of stuff. You know, European A finalist. If you, I think if you can get those guys to come to your events, yeah. it makes those events feel more special. It's like, yeah, it you know what? I may have only made the C final. Mm-hmm. And this is what I always say about the Midwest region. Yeah, I may have only made the C final, but you know what? The A final are all European A finalists, yep. or you know they're all national A finalists. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm quite That's happy true. to make the C. You know, I'd be happy with the D if I'm honest. But the fact yeah. that I made the C, I've had a banging day. I've had a good laugh with my mates. I've raced, mm-hmm. sat in between two of the best, three of the best, four of the best in Europe. Yeah, I don't I don't get how a day's RC car racing can be any worse than that. Or be any better, sorry. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. That that's what we do it for. And that's that is when you you leave and you head home and you think, I've had an absolutely banging day day to day. I might not have performed as well here or there, I might have done this strong, I went the wrong way was set up. But overall it's been an absolutely banging day. And yeah. that that comes back to the opening question at the very beginning, this what do I what do I want to achieve in this role? Because the treasurer role, it's not the most active role within the BRCA. A lot of it is about sitting looking at spreadsheets and doing numbers. But I would hope it would help me interact more with other clubs. And I would hope it would make it a little bit easier to try and enable clubs to work together for each other's benefit. Yeah. I mean, you've only got to take workshop um, the other week, mm. beginning of the month. I was there. Yeah. I'm sat with the two Hall brothers. I've got Neil Cragg there, there's, you know, countless other really good drivers, Charlie Saunders, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's great. I'm having a great laugh. I'm, I'm having a laugh around the track. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some some dozy northerner with a funny green car crashing in front of me all the time. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, but, that's definitely me. That was definitely yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was, and this is what I've been saying, and I have been saying to Russ and Russ, I'm, you know, I'm sure he'll agree. I have been badgering him to come to one of the workshop events. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely fair, think it's have, one yeah. of the it's one of the best indoor events for depth of talent yeah. in the country. I was, and I am a big believer in if you want to get better, go and race people who are going to lap you three times. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah, it'll force you to improve. You'll, you'll, there's no comfort zone when you're there. I, I absolutely love workshop, and I, I have to give a, a mention to to Muzzy, to Eugene, to Steve Pierce, to all, to James Helliwell, the the core guys. I try when I go down, I try and go on a, a Saturday, do the track build, the hotel overnight, and then I'm in the next day. It is one of the most slick, well-run most enjoyable events that I will attend all year round, probably second to the Invernational because that's my highlight um, but Workshop as an event is absolutely amazing and me racing Schumacher, there's multiple lads that I can approach and ask for help, I can I can go up to Simon Smith, I, I'm forever badgering Ryan Clark, um, I think he's blocked us at the minute because he's had enough of setting my cars up, like, well, doesn't make any difference to my performance <laughs> but you, you, you go to, and this I think this is what we're talking about, if you look at Workshop you've got Ability there. You've got me in the D final, sorry, in the G final. You've got people that I'm, there's people in every final that you know that you can approach that you don't feel uncomfortable about. You can walk up to them, have a bit crack, and then get to the key question why is me cost yeah. shit? It's, it's, yeah. it's a great place to go. It's great. Yeah. Is the usual answer to yours because Ryan Clark set it up? Well, yeah. Sorry, so, Ryan. Bless Ryan. <laughs> he took my cars a few weeks ago and he, he completely stripped them down built them and say these will be amazing on cover for you Paul and I had the worst race that I've ever had and the only reason that was was I came home and decided to try and fiddle with the ESC settings so suddenly I've got a car that's just on on a level that I can't handle but yeah right you know Ryan's mint Ryan's an absolute legend around here he's just yeah. under six foot if anybody asks he'll always take just under six foot used, used to play rugby if anybody didn't know that as well um, and he's he's Uncle Chris invented RC <laughs> Yeah. Chris no, he's, he's, he's yeah, Chris. Chris is a, Chris is an absolute lad. I love Chris. He's a good laugh to chat to. Chris is mint. Chris is brilliant. Yeah, Chris was the one that got me into to doing what I'm talking about. So I used to race at a club called Newcastle RC Races, which is a gym surface indoor slippy on a Monday night. And Chris come along one night. It's what are you doing this weekend? Absolutely nothing. Why? He said you come to work something with me. I was like, what? I, I, I can't do that. He went, no, seriously, you come to work something. I'll book a hotel for you. You come to work something. And sure enough. Went down to workshop and that was it. I was hooked. I was terrible. I don't think I finished a race, let alone a final. But I was absolutely hooked on going elsewhere and trying new races. I mean, we'll use that as a segue. Um, that's how you started going to workshop. But how did you get started in RC? Where did you Where did you first go? What was your first car? So my very first car was a grasshopper. Um, I, I had a grasshopper years okay, and years ago. I'm sorry. Ago. Probably talking early 90s and I went there was a, a little club in a place called Felon in Gator just on the outskirts of Newcastle I went along there and I then got a um, Tamiya Mantari I had a few other things like the Bigfoot and stuff just to play with but I got a Tamiya Mantari and I absolutely loved this car best car that, I, that I, I've ever had I do have one now I managed to get an original one a couple of years ago so that's one of my shelf queens um, raced until I was about 15, 16 then discovered going out with my mates drink, girls, the usual. And he just completely lost interest in racing altogether. Uh, my son, Joshua, he showed a little interest in RC probably about eight years ago. Um, he turns 16 in two days, so he'll be eight-year-old at the time. He showed a little bit of interest in RC, so I bought a, something called a Maverick Strada, a touring car version. Went to, yeah. to Newcastle RC races. Um, just for him to race, I didn't go there with any intention of racing. Goes down there and he was having a go in between heats trying to learn how to have a go of the car. And there was a, a, a guy there called Trevor Anderson who was a great help to us. Trevor come along and he had a Schumacher K1. He said, Paul, put, put it down, have a go, see what you think. And I think I'd done two laps 
probably four times the lap pace they were doing. Two laps, I come off and say, Trevor, that's amazing. Can I buy it off you? So he wouldn't sell us that car. And I, I went off, went to a place called Fiddles, Fiddles Models and North Shields. And the K1 Aero, Aero had just been released. So I bought myself a Schumacher K1 Aero. And that was it. I was absolutely hooped. The key thing that I enjoyed was the stripping down and rebuilding and repairing of the car. I absolutely loved it. And because my son was involved in it as well, it made it easier to get a pass from the wife. He doesn't really race much anymore. They come along from time to time. But that was it. As soon as I got that, that K1 Aero and I built it from scratch, and I think I broke it in about 30 seconds of racing it, but it had me completely hooked again. It just reminded me, if I go back to when I was 14, 15, with this grasshopper with a manta ray, and it was just everything that I, I remembered from it back then was just brilliant. What sort of year was that, sorry, when you, when you had to go, you might stream, I can't miss that bit. Uh, probably about eight year ago, seven, eight year ago, I think oh, it would have okay. been. So yeah. it would it have been just prior to the K1 Aero coming out. The K1 Aero was out, and I think it was the KF was the two-wheel drive at the time. Yeah, yes, like 2014, yeah, B6, B5. Day, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ah, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 end of the end of the B5M, sort of beginning yeah, of the B6. Yeah, 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 that's it, yeah. 2014 yeah. then. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I've I've been Schumacher pretty much through and through since then. I I had a few months running techno. Um, I also tried associated for a short while, but I, I came back to Schumacher quite quickly. It's it's the brand that I love, and I'm sat in my garage now. I think I've got thirty one, thirty two cars in the garage at the minute, and I would say probably twenty of them are Schumachers. Yeah, I mean techno gets quite strong up as you go up the country, like past Endor. I find. It you did, know, yeah. There was a bit a of a technical real, takeover real up here. Yeah. Strong up, 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 up that way, especially with the eight side as well. Yeah, it's a fantastic eighth car. I think on the eighth, it's 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 probably one of the better ones out there. Uh, when they brought the e the EB four ten out, um, ET four ten EB EB four ten, a guy called Jamie Chapel, him and his son Ethan, turned up at the club with these cars. And I was like, what the hell are they? They're the most ugly looking things I've ever seen. It's all yeah. back to front. Well, pop it down, have a go and see what you think. And there was three of my mates there at the time, uh, Gary Wright, Mal Richardson and Matt Gill. So I chucks this car down. I've done two or three laps of it. And I was like, this is impressive. To the point that Mal Richardson, who hadn't even picked the car up at this point, went online and ordered one um, because he was impressed with what he'd seen. It got to the point that was probably about 20 of us across the, the northeast running the Technos. Yeah. Um, brilliant car on the outdoor but when it comes to indoor on the high grip we really struggled with it it was too aggressive for the eus car but that was starting to appear in all the clubs up here so bit by bit it kind of it dropped off and now i think there's maybe only two or three people actively racing them in this area now yeah yeah i still have the techno i'd never sell it because whenever my daughter wants to come racing, I give her the techno. No matter what she does, she can't break it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it was kind of like a. I don't want to be derogatory here, but it was a bit of a flash in the pan car, wasn't it? It came out and it looked awesome and amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was new, and you know, our headquarters are over the road from some fighter base, so all our body shells are styled on jet fighters. Yeah, if you don't know why techno body shells are like that, guys, they, they, needed, they desperately <laughs> need a two-wheel drive platform. <laughs> you know, you know, but that's what I mean. They haven't got a two-wheel drive to, to back it up. Need, need that to back it up. If they brought a two-wheel drive out, I, along with probably many others, would have remained with techno because the point two was a good step forward. The point two was a good solid car, 
But I was turning up to races with a box full of techno spares, a box full of Schumacher or Associated spares at the time. Yeah. And it's it's a lot to be looking after two different brands. It's okay if there's just two cars, but I do mention my children race, and that was the time when the kids were racing. So I would be turning up with six cars, and sometimes I'd have three different brands to maintain, and it's just, it becomes impossible, and something's got to give. Yeah. Yeah. That's the benefit of running doubling up and running one brand isn't it and you get yeah. not all parts obviously interchange but you know most of your little screws your washers your nuts your bolts you know they yeah. all kind of do the but. techno was it was it was difficult to get a setup jamie chapman absolutely nailed it so he shared it a lot with us it was difficult to get a setup in the window when it was in the window it was unreal and if you drive that car aggressive you'll do well with it back off and take it easy and the car just doesn't respond but you could fall out of that window quite quickly whereas other cars i could look at my two-wheel drive setup and it would give me a rough idea where to go with my four-wheel drive setup because they didn't have the two-wheel drive platform you couldn't do that yeah no it's um i did like the look of the tech now i think i'm one of them ones that i suppose what was that phrase beauty is in the eye of the beholder um yeah yeah i thought they were quite I think their their funky lookingness made them. I quite liked it, right I, or wrong. I, I quite remember liked the first it. time I saw one at Kidderminster, um, and the guy mm. off the rostrum was constantly moaning about when his car was upside down. People putting him on the track backwards <laughs> because the way, oh, every time because the way the chassis is shaped, it looks like the front is the, the back's actually the front. It's, yeah, that was, that was so my first so. thoughts of seeing of seeing one of them was he always made his cars being put around backwards. Do you know what? Generally, it happened a lot, Russ. I, I've, I've spent so much time upside down when I'm racing, and they would throw your car down the wrong way, and then they jump, they grab it to put the, the the right way around. I can't remember if it was Mal Richardson or Matt Gill. One of them actually had a chassis skin made with an arrow saying this way forward. <laughs> Brilliant. Crazy. Yeah, it was awesome. Ah, cool. Um, so let's talk a bit about your, your racing then, dude. Um, let's talk about trucks. Um, oh, you're, trucks. you're very trucks. proud of beating Angry my, Matt Gill. It's my only claim to fame. I don't think I've won. I've never won an argument. I've, I've never won anything in my life. But what I did was I won the indoor winter series last year with the trucks and it came down to a, a literally a, a last lap shootout with me and a couple of others. And Matt thought he had it. Then they realised that the loop had actually missed a, a, a lap off from me and it was three or four others that put it forward. So, yeah, randomly Matt will get a picture of my trophy board, which is sat next to us now in the garage. He'd randomly get a picture of my trophy board, which is truck first place for the indoor indoor winter series. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't mention it much to him. Maybe two or three times a weekend that I'm with him, I'll mention it, but that's all. Perfect. What truck did you have? Did you have, the, Ooh, Schumacher, did you have the Schumacher truck? Yeah, I've got the Storm. I've got the Storm. It's great, great bit of fun. I, more people need to run trucks. I absolutely love running trucks. It's If you're not as good of a racer like I'm not, it's more forgiving. You can clip apexes and it's not going to roll over. It's, it allows you to enjoy racing a lot more. It really, really does. The downside is because you don't get a huge amount of people turning up with trucks, you have a huge mix of ability in one heat. So you can be racing incredibly fast lads or you can be racing incredibly slow lads like Matt Gill. Um, so, <laughs> you know what, Matt's one of my best pals. He is. He's, he's a really, really good mate. But uh, it's a standing joke with me and him. Yeah. So you already mentioned it, but we've heard the stories. 
you've mentioned your favourite whiskey. I'm assuming this is the Jack Daniels story from the International. <laughs> yeah, All I'm going to say over to you. So the, it depends which one you've heard because there's a couple and I could taint my reputation here by telling you the wrong one, to be honest. Well, whichever <laughs> one it is that's going to taint your reputation, just make sure yeah. you tell us that, which will be more entertaining. Yeah. So Jack Daniels is my is my absolute drink of choice. It's a nice, easy drink. We went down to the International and we got there early on the Friday and I think by the Saturday morning and none of us had any alcohol left. Now, we don't go racing just to get drunk, it's just a byproduct of what happens. Um, but we, uh, we were down there, um, I'm sure it was the International maybe four years ago and it was possibly the best weekend I think I've ever, ever had. Um, there was all the local lads, all the northern lads pitting together. Matt Gill comes down uh, you say, oh, we, we we need to behave. My wife's coming down. I don't think this is a story you guys will know of. We need we need to behave. My wife's coming down. We're like, what? Your wife's coming down. That's nice. She's coming to support you. Went, yeah, it's my anniversary. What? So you, on your anniversary, she's coming to sit at the table. Watch you get angry trying to race a remote control car. Is that how it's going to go? Right. Get the beers out. Um, it was it was a bloody messy weekend that weekend. A very messy weekend. But there was a, a second time we went down there was for a techno test day. So we, we arrives on the Friday, me, Matt, Mal, plus many others. Out comes the Jack Daniels, out comes the beer, sitting there getting drunk. Before racing on the Saturday, and I think it got to about 10 o'clock. I'm like, right, getting a bit tired now. Matt, where's the tent? Thoughts in the back of my car, don't worry, because Matt was bringing the tent down for all the stay, and he had this big six-berth tent. So we stays another hour, hour and a half, right? We need, we need to think about going to bed now. We've got racing tomorrow morning. So Matt opens the boot of his tent. Bear in mind, at this point, I was drunk. I, I, I definitely crossed over. Uh, I was definitely drunk. Opens his tent and he'd done the old, oh, forgot me tent poles. I'm like, yeah, funny, Matt. Gives another joke. That one's a bit rubbish. You've used it three or four times before. And his face just kind of went a little bit white and went, no, seriously, lads, I forgot the tent poles. He's serious. He kind of be. So he pulls this tent out, rolls it out, and sure enough, he's got this massive tent with no tent poles to it. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, no, man. When, you, when you're a bit drunk, you can't exactly jump in the car, go and find a hotel. Like, what, what are we going to do now? I had a, a Volvo XC60. I said, like, well, I suppose I'll have to try and sleep in the back of this car. But I was probably about a foot too long to stretch out in the car. So I'm sleeping in a ball there. And I went back into the cabin, the um, the shed area, the pitting area, Robin Hood. Matt's fast asleep with three or four sleeping bags. And poor Mal Richardson, was. there's a rostrum inside there is, yeah. area which they use from time to time Mal Richardson was lay on top of this rostrum with the thinnest blanket you've ever seen in your entire life <laughs> and you could just see him actually shivering his teeth were clattering together <laughs> <laughs> Matt next morning we're like oh, Matt I'll see you there was the worst night's sleep I think I've ever had Matt was complaining that he was too hot during the night so, mate, I, I don't even know how we're still friends to be honest like <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's probably yeah. not it's probably not the story that you guys heard about the, the Jack I, I, I heard a similar one that you were basically mortal drunk for a whole international once. <laughs> yes, yeah. So in the very first international we went to, we, we were just drunk the entire time. We got dressed up. Well, what was the theme again? I can't remember now. But we had the Mexican sombrero hats and stuff on. We 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 done the endurance race. That was the weekend that in the, Dave Dunn went to Marshall a car in the bomb hole and snapped his ankle as he went down into it. Oh. Naturally, we all ran to help, you'd think. We just stood there with cans in our hand, literally peeing ourselves, laughing at Dave getting carried off the track by two guys. And just everything about that weekend from start to finish was just literally 
perfect. Feud beers with your mates, racing with your mates. It was just from start to finish. It was one of the highlights of, of my whole RC career. Not because of the result, just the banter with the lads. So is it no, true... I... Sorry, go on. Is it, is it true that Ryan still has to um, sort your cars out for you before every meeting? Every single meeting, yes. Yeah, every single meeting. Yeah. Does he do a good job? Because you were saying earlier that you know you, 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 love, you love doing all Russ, your own have work. Res- have a look at my results and you tell me if he does a good job. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I think, I think Ryan's starting to feel a bit threatened by you. So he takes my cars and completely goes the other direction and gives me them back and then watches me have a meltdown in the middle of a race. <laughs> <laughs> If you're listening, by the way, Ryan Clark, I'm only joking. Please do keep setting my cars up. I'm very grateful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has got to be one of the best ambassadors for prep. Every, it seems oh, like yeah. he's rebuilding his shocks or gluing tyres or doing a diff. Like, how many he's... times do you need to rebuild these ball diffs? Every other night, there's a picture. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he, he knows the the setup well. He puts a lot of times. I think when he first went to Schumacher, well, maybe an associate, when he first went to associate after he was with Techno, he spent some time going to tracks all around the country, perfecting setups on different tracks. And it's paid off because the kid's absolutely rapid on track now. But he's one of the nicest guys you'll meet in the pits as well. He'll give anybody time to help them. And if he doesn't know the answer, I think he just asks Simon Smith what to do and then passes the answer off as his own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently, though, you mentioned the rugby. Apparently, his brother's a much better rugby player. Nah, he couldn't be worse, could he? <laughs> <laughs> he, now, he? He now sells airport hangers. That's how good of a rugby player he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but apparently, now apparently there was a rugby video game released the other day. The other was it a year or so ago, and he was yeah, still on it. Even he was still right. in it, and um, yeah. apparently he hadn't played for like three years after, before that. So. <laughs> Kind of a, kind uh, of a big but, deal, but what man. I know, he was a he was a, he was a good rugby player. To be fair to him, the thing is with Ryan, what I, what I've learned with Ryan in the time I've known him is he wants to do everything to the best he can ever be at it. Whether that's rugby, whether that's RC cars, that's whether he, whether his job going to Dubai and, and doing what he does, he gives everything. He's absolute all, and I've got to say it on record. I really admire the lad for that. Nice. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he well, is a good, have, have a good you, guy. I mean, you've got quite a good team at the at the Durham Club, haven't you? Really, for um, for, for for helping out and getting all, everything together. Yeah, the, so there's at the minute. I think there's eight or nine people on the committee. But what we've got, Russ, is we've probably got ten to fifteen people. Where five or six of them turn up, different people, five or six different people turn up to every event, no matter what you're doing. So yeah. you've always got a core of 12, 13, 14 guys who will come and put the track out, put it away. But it's it's way beyond that. It's track repairs during the day. It's when something goes wrong. It's it's running off to, to fix problems where needed. We've got a really, really good bunch of guys behind where yeah. there's a couple of lads who. We, we, well, I haven't mentioned a lad called Jonathan Walton. His son, Josh Walton, races for yeah. Schumacher. Um, Jonathan, bless him, he, he comes to the meeting. Fortunately, Joshua can now set his cars up by himself because Jonathan never has a spare minute when he comes to our meetings. He never stops. Gaz Hardy, when he turns up, he says he's going to come. But when, when Gaz turns up, he's the same. He never stops grafting. Chris Proctor, there's loads of them. 
And that's what's made the place a success because if it was just the four, five or six of us, we'd never get a race and we'd, as a result, lose interest and walk away from it. It's great, though, that you can. I can tell by the way you're talking and the way I see you talk to each other on the internet that you're all great mates. That's got to go a long oh, way, hasn't it? Are. You know what I mean? It's got to be that make, it, makes everything cool. so much easier. It has. I mean, my 40th birthday, I know I look a lot older than 40th. My 40th birthday last year was me, my wife, and a lot of my racing pals and their wives. Yeah. And the fact that you can do that, they've become like you in my social circle now. We've just got a solid bunch of guys who have a common interest. Well, two common interests, one race and two taking the mig out of each other, yeah. because that's probably what we spend more time doing than actually racing. But it's yeah, we're, we're really really lucky as a as a club. We've got some crack and support in terms of community volunteers and members. We really have. Yeah, that's class, man. It's real good. Yeah, it's awesome. You got any more questions, Chris? Uh, I have, mate. I've exhausted all of my notes. Might as well talk about <laughs> what you're going to do as treasurer, then, aren't we? As we as we change the subject pretty quickly well, at the start. I'll be honest, I was hoping you were going to get Martin online so he could tell me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, I know, I know it's only been three weeks since you, since you um, yeah. took the position on. So. I'm only a couple of weeks into the role. The, the, the key part of what the, the short way to describe what I expect to be doing is at any given point, I should be able to tell the committee members and the club where the money is, where the money's coming, where the money's going. I will monitor and control payments as they come in and out. I'll also take on additional tax, tasks as it grows when it comes to national entries because I cannot express enough how much Paul Worsley done in this role beforehand. He was an absolute legend to the sport and his, his time, his commitment and what he's done over the years. Is. there's no way at all I'll be able to come even close on what he's done in the grand scheme of things but with the treasurer role just taking that to one side I feel there's a lot that I can offer on that side of it um, there's, there's, a, there's a, a lot of learning for me to do there's a lot of questions that I'm constantly asking Jim, Martin and others along the way to bring myself up to speed to it yeah. but it's it's interesting. I'm enjoying it so far. I haven't done a huge amount as yet, and that was always going to be the case. It's something that will drip feed across me over the first probably two months, I would, I would imagine. Um, and if if we were speaking three, four months down the line, I could probably spend an hour telling you everything I'm doing. But at this stage, it's it's very much learning what they want me to do. How do they want the information to be presented? Because the devil is always in the detail, but people get confused when you put a balance sheet in front of them. So I want to try and have things in a presentable fashion where they can understand exactly where the money is at any given time, what's being spent, where, why is it being spent there, how can we spend that better, how can we make the money work for us more in the future as well, because you can always look at, at streamlining what you do. It's not a case of spending less, it's what value do you get out of what you are spending. So I hope that's something that I can offer as we move forward. Nice, perfect. Yeah, so... Obviously, you said Paul Worsley, legend. As everybody mm-hmm. knows, I'm a big Paul Worsley fan myself. Um, yeah. At the point where you went, you, you put your hand up and, you know, Martin's, everybody's gone, does anybody want to do the chairman role? Does anybody want to do the secretary role? And everybody's gone, no, no, you carry on. You crack on. You, you do it. Yeah. And then it comes to, who would like to do the treasurer's role? And Paul goes, well, I'm happy to stand again. And then you stand up and you go, well, I actually, you know, I mean, I'd just like to know how it felt because obviously at the AGM, um, you got you got given a few minutes and Paul got given a few minutes to sort of um, to stand up and 
I don't want to say justify, but give good reasons as to why, you know, you should be considered for the role and yeah. almost a bit like a, an election speech, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got to pitch myself. I've got to pitch myself. At what point did you kind of think about what you were going to say when, you know, you have to stand up and say why you should do the role over Paul Worsley when he could pretty much just stand up and go previous 20 years and then sit down to be yeah to be honest I didn't really pay much thought to that in advance I did think about how is this going to go do am I going to have to stand in front and give a presentation am I going to be asked questions but what I didn't want to do because it would have been incredibly disrespectful of me to do would be to go to others and say I'm thinking about doing this people who are involved who would know I'm thinking about doing this what do you expect will happen on the day I think that would have been the wrong way to play it so I went in there, probably a little bit naive, and I just thought myself, I've, I've been in many, many situations in business where you get put in front of the board, you get put in front of a panel who question you, and you've got to you've got to think on the spot. And I feel like professionally, that's when I do my best work. So I thought, if I go in there, and if that happens, that happens. My biggest fear about all this was I thought there's no way at all I'm going to win this vote. And I'm going to walk out there thinking, why did I even bother putting myself through that? Because now I look like a bit a bit stupid. Um, so I'm hopeful that the things I was hopeful that the things I said when I got asked by Martin, right, Paul, you've got a couple of minutes and um, give people a few reasons why why you want to be. And I probably could have give you a hundred reasons at that point, but I knew I've got to be quick and I've got to be snappy here. I could only hope that the things I said got enough attention from people, and it se- seemingly they did. But it was nerve wracking. It was really, really nerve wracking because I, I'd prepared a few things to say in my head, but I hadn't prepared too much because I didn't know how it was going to go. My fear was if I prepare for prepare full speech, but nobody wants me to give a speech and they want to ask questions. I'm not prepared for that. So I kind of had to go in a little bit naive to it and just think, right, it'll be what it'll be. If questions come, or if I've asked to do this, if I'm asked to do that, then I'll just answer it to the best of my ability. I'll answer them open and honest, because I believe that's the type of guy I am. And if people buy into that, they'll raise their hand for me. If they don't, they won't. And I respect whichever way people vote. What was more nerve-wracking, standing up and expressing those feelings as to why you should do it, or being stood out in the corridor? <laughs> like yeah, with the bloke you got waiting for the results 100 percent standing in the corridor um I, as, as i said just before there i stand and i pitch my business to people that i've never met who are in various positions all the time so public speaking um a toastmaster that type of thing is something that i really enjoy I, I, I enjoy that side but not many people do surprisingly going in the corridor and standing there with paul was the most nerve-wracking thing i've done for a long time because you almost want to speak to each other. You almost want to break the ice, but you equally you don't because you don't know what you're going to say. To, I couldn't turn around and go, "Sorry, but I put myself forward for this, Paul." What what can you say? Yeah, in so like, you in want like to break the ice. It takes for a vote. Wait for like ten minutes. Save it there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll be honest. My, my left eye was trying to look through the gap in the door, but then I realised that Darren was stood on the other side of the glass, so I couldn't see what people were voting for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the most nerve-wracking part of it. It really uh, is. Cool. Um, so before you ask the, our new famous question, Paul, is there anything you want to say? No, I mean, for me, I want to thank 
the guys around me that give us the courage to do this. I spoke to a few. I spoke to our committee of the club first because it was only fair to tell them I was thinking of doing this, and the support that they give me was just unsurpassed. It was brilliant. So for me personally, I, I want to thank those guys for the support they give us to do this role. Um, I also made it clear this might remove a little bit of my involvement in Durham along the way, so you might need to pick up a few things I do, and it was it was no issue to them. Perfect. Uh, class mate. Um, right then, um, time for the famous question. So if you wanted to put one mm. or two things, as long as they're good, into the RC Hall of Fame, what would you go for? Quite a strange one. I don't think I've heard this one mentioned on the show so far. Just one. It would be the Tamiya Manta Uh It was the car that made me fall in love with racing. And it was the car that, at the beginning of lockdown, I managed to source an original, unbuilt one from America. It's the car that ignited my love for um, shelf queens for the vintage stuff. I've got five or six wonderful vintage cars here, and it's all on the back of the Tamiya Manta Ray. Racing is all on the back of the Tamiya Manta Ray. So if I could put something in the Hall of Fame, it would be that car. Nice choice. Oh, nice choice. Brilliant car. I actually took it out racing a couple of years ago on an indoor track. Alan O'Brien came down. <laughs> Don't meet your heroes, uh, mate. <laughs> Don't meet your heroes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we had a vintage, a vintage meeting. And uh, I took this car along, and it, it was it was kicking some some ass of the more recent cars yeah. until I broke a shock, and I was almost crying oh, uh, because I thought there's no way I'll get the spares for this. But no, yeah, that's that's the one. Perfect, mate. Perfect. Uh, awesome. Do you want to thank anyone before we let you go? Friends, family, sponsors, long-suffering wife, anyone in particular? Yeah, so I, I do race for Schumacher. I've got to extend my thanks to Schumacher as a team, to Muzzy. Muzzy's been fantastic along the way. Chris Ashton, as well as a team manager, has wonderful support. All the lads within the Schumacher team who regularly give me set up and try and tell us where, where I've gone wrong with the car. People like Ryan Clark along the way have been amazing. My wife, she's amazing. That she gives me so much time to to invest in my hobby, whether that's even sitting in the garage fixing the cars or going away for weekends, racing, and of course my mates who I've made throughout the sport. Um, there's there's some fantastic people around. People who don't race so much anymore. People like Chris Clark who got me involved. The legend that is Alan Layton. Heard him on the podcast not not too long ago. Um, Alan's somebody who's who's gave me time and advice across the years as well. Um, so yeah, huge huge thanks to all the aforementioned. Nice one, mate. Thanks for coming on tonight, Paul. You've been absolutely brilliant. Okay. Good, Cheers, guys. Keep good, doing an amazing job. Good luck with your racing. All right, I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers, fellas. See you in a bit. Speak to you soon, mate. Bye bye. Cheers, man. Bye. And he's gone. How about that in our one take podcast? Mate, it was actually really good, really easy chat. It was it was good to hear from Paul and some good stories in there as well. Yeah, it's class, man. He, he, he sounds like a nice guy, man. Sounds like a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, like a good guy. Did you do anything? <sighs> Not really, mate. Uh you? You've been uh, to... I went to where did I go to Chris what's it called it was, was Tamworth it no it's, it's, oh, it's, Tamworth. I was going oh, I couldn't decide whether to say Tamworth or T-R-A-C-C um, but yeah I went to Tamworth to race my LMP car on Saturday and yeah. I had the best time the results don't show it but I don't think I put up a bad performance of myself either I qualified yeah. third in the C and finished fourth I was running around in third for the whole race but I, 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 I had a problem with my car so I had to slow down for the last lap and Bozzy got back past me but you know what there was three eats there was A, B and C and I was off like car five in that even though it was rolling starts and then I qualified in the third in the C and I, you know what I wasn't even disappointed because I drove really well you know I didn't need marshalling or you know and I was pretty what's the word 
I was happy with my average laps, you know, my consistency. Yeah, happy with my consistency. I've actually been a, a bit, bit finer, but you know, I was, I was hitting some apexes, and I don't feel I drove badly or performed badly. However, yeah. I ended up in everyone else was just so much faster. Yeah, you know, weird, mate. Really weird, really weird. Um, there was yeah. a GT12 national on there the next day, so there's a lot of lot of fast people there. I mean, even Andy Murray, world champion. Mark. Yeah, you know, I take it you didn't beat him. No, I tell you what, Chris. I always say this, and I'm like, people are like, oh, "Yeah, well, he's the world champion," but my God, is he fast? You know, and, yeah. I, can, and I can see why he's world champion. So precise and like mm. taking. I didn't really watch it in, um, because obviously it was race. I was in the the, the bottom heat, whatever. Then I'd marshal, and then I'd go back to my table to sort my car out and stuff. And obviously that's when his race was on, so I didn't see it until yeah. the end of the day. I watched the final. And some of the lines he was taking, and how he could get his car to basically stay so tight to different lines. Like there was one corner where everyone else in the building was coming out of it, going wide, and then hooking round to the right because it was like a right-hand sweep. But he come into this corner, hairpin the pipe, and run straight up the pipe, and then turn right rather than sweeping. But he was carrying the same speed that everyone else was flying through as a sweep. It was just unreal, mate. Absolutely fantastic to see, you know. So yeah, I was mega impressed. But it was, a, yeah. you know, what it was a good meeting. It was a good meeting. Keith was there with his front wheel drive associated. I TC. heard. I oh. heard a rumor that he made a setup change. You know what? I took that picture. He made several changes. I was like, I can't believe that. Oh, you're, right. like, you're making a setup change, Keith. I'm going to take a picture, put it on the internet. He says, "Well, when he changes the pill, that ain't really a change, is it?" I'm like, for you, it is. Um, and then later, <laughs> and, but later on in the night, he uh, he he put um, he put some weight in the car as well. He had some bolt-on weight plate things that he was bolted on, so yeah. he was changing some stuff. He was changing yeah. some turning stuff. Turning up, just turning up to a meeting with some tools is a setup change for Keith usually. Yeah, yeah. So now it was good, but he, he struggled a bit. I think he knocked his trim out in the final. Um, put a bit of tweak in the car, so he wouldn't go. He wouldn't yeah. go straight. It wouldn't go straight down the straight, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, yes. I think he still finished second, so that was um, that was quite a good one. So yeah, that's all right. Man. Uh, I'm going to Cardiff this weekend. I, I I was umming and ahhing about it, and I made a decision today that I'm going to go down to. There's a charity meeting down at Cobra because you know I was only going to do the winter series. Well, this weekend they've got a charity gig to try and buy a defibrillator for, for the club for yes. you know Martin Hadley's um, Keep Your Heart Racing charity. So we're yeah, going, yeah, we're going down there and. They're gonna be, it's gonna be a be a good little meeting. We're gonna take Bruce. I think Princess is going. Um, oh nice. The Smiths were all, were fifty fifty about going. So yeah, so it should be good. Should be good. Yeah, sounds good, mate. I'm on a another weekend off. And when, then when you obviously you, you got your workshop though, aren't you next for you? I suppose no, not this year. Next, but not this weekend. So yeah. the weekend, I think Saturday is the twenty sixth, and then workshops on the twenty seventh. As like Paul's doing the same. Paul's weekend's the same, so... Where are you on the train? Say that again. Where are you on the train sixth? Uh, we are at the one-tenth committee um, meeting. You know what? Regard, Chris? and this is where we're going to be doing the... Like, the discussions and the voting around national tracks yeah, and know, things like that. You never, We haven't mentioned it in the show, actually. Well, I mentioned it last week, but... Well done for well, sticking your hand honest, up and getting involved with the drivers, rep, mate. You know what I mean? There was there was no one wanted to do well, it. You know, no one put their I hand mean, up for it, did they? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I put my hand up to give. Obviously, Eugene had stopped doing it, um, so I, I put my hand up to sort of support Freddie and give him a hand doing it. He was always going to be the main guy, 
And then um, for whatever reasons, Freddie is he's unable to do it this year. Um, so I kind of, you know, got promoted into the spot for a bit of a bump up. Um, so, yeah, it was it was unexpected, but glad that I'm able to try and, like Paul said, you can't. You can't moan about things. Not that I moan about the Nationals, really. I love the series. Um, but you you can't try and make things and make them better without putting your hand up and having a go, can you? Yeah, exactly, mate. No, fair play. Fair play. All right, then, buddy. You got anything else you want to say before we knock it on the head? Uh, no, just thank our sponsors. That's CML Distribution, Schumacher Racing, and... Will Speed Racing, and again, Christmas is coming, guys. Get those likes in, get those shares in. Uh, some of the prizes are starting to come in already for the Christmas raffle. I've had, you know, we've had a few bits, so it's looking good this year. And as Russ leaked last week, when I heard back, we have got Christmas Craggy back this year. So I didn't leak that. If you well, want I, him I to pick done, for a the, prize, the, there would have been music blaring over it when I said that, probably or not. I don't know. Well, there's probably going to be music blaring over this as well by now. Yeah, possibly. You never know. It depends how long, uh, yeah. how much I go on for in a minute. Um, all right, then. So let me say thank you to the listeners, guys. As Chris has just said, don't forget to like and share for your chance to be in with a prize at Christmas. I'm going to start compiling the list towards the end of um, next week, basically in November. So if you if you haven't liked or shared any episodes yet, feel free to go through the back through the back catalogue and like a couple, and you'll get a ticket for the Christmas draw. It's as simple as that. Um, that's it. Don't forget to like and share. Don't forget to like and share. And for old time's sake, don't forget to like. Yeah, Chris, you've been wonderful. Good luck, mate. And I will see. If I don't see you before, I will see you next week. Um, but we've got a world-famous UK podcaster. Oh, have we? And it's not Martin Owen next week. It's not Martin Owen. There'll definitely be music playing over this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, but I'll see you later, mate. Right. See you later, mate. Bye.